0: Good morning, everybody. I am grateful for the reminder that this is more than a performance, right? Jumping up on this platform is more than just like making the monkey dance, right? This is a family that we are part of, that we get to go through the awkwardness and the joys and the sorrows of of being part of Jesus's family together. Um, We are in our, our third week of Advent, And just reminded again that Advent is the arrival of an important person. Um, What people in Slovakia and Ukraine here in Post Falls, we are looking forward. Thank you so much. We're looking forward with longing for the second Advent, the second rescue, the completion of the rescue of Jesus. And as an annual rhythm or as an annual season, like Advent exists within the church calendar to remind us of that. It reminds us 100% not only that Jesus exists, but that he came and he will come again. Um, And we remember that he came 2000 years ago for those who were too far gone, those who are too far gone, right? Those who do not deserve rescue. And, And we hold fast to this idea that Jesus came incarnate in the flesh, that he died for our sake, was buried, resurrected three days later to full life, is now ascended at the right hand of the Father and will return. Um, So Advent, just to put a point on this, Advent is an anchor, an anchor that Jesus has come. So my present reality is different because of what he has done. And my future reality is different because of what he will do. So I live today in light of tomorrow because he will come again, and he has come. And so the opportunity of new life and transformation for me right now is different than it would have been without his presence. Now, our focus uh, this Advent season is specifically on why the incarnation of Jesus matters, like why it's more than just a theology term, but why it matters for us in our everyday lives as Christians. And if, if the incarnation of Jesus matters, then it means that our joy in Christmas should be Jesus. Because his incarnation matters, he is our joy in Christmas. So quick summary, just fly over of our our four-week Advent teaching series. Week one was the idea that the incarnation of Jesus was according to the scriptures. There was a plan and a purpose that Jesus came to fulfill, and it is trustworthy. Week two, last week, was that the incarnation of Jesus shows us that no one's too far gone for the mercy of God and a transformed life, because Jesus came to save sinners. Next week is going to be that the incarnation of Jesus trains us to live lives of holiness. So if you are eager for transformation and a renewed heart and a new lifestyle, hopefully that will tickle that itch for you next week. This week, though, is that the incarnation of Jesus reconciles us to God and gifts us or creates joyful fellowship between us, both between us and God. And that is my point for the whole sermon in one sentence. The incarnation of Jesus reconciles us to God and creates joyful fellowship between us. And today we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to break it into four points out of that passage, and all of them are going to be affected by this, by the past advent of Jesus, and they're going to be affected by the future advent of Jesus, the re-advent. So my four points today is simply this, Jesus' incarnation, it reveals his divinity, his incarnation proclaims a good news message, his incarnation creates joyful fellowship with us as a spiritual family, and it creates joyful fellowship with God himself. Would you read with me 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10? That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, and which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so, we are writing these things so that our joy and your joy may be complete. And this is the message that we've heard from him and the message we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father, as we open this up, we just ask for your spirit to illuminate and explain this to us. Help us to see your main point as the main point today, and that it would bring life and joy to us. Amen. Really quick summary of this whole thing is basically, John is saying, we, his disciples, have touched this man, Jesus... And it has confirmed that he is eternal life itself. He was with God in the beginning. He is divine. And because we believe in him, we proclaim him as real and we proclaim his message. And this is his message that God is light and in him is no darkness. And then also that there's forgiveness of sins in the cleansing blood of Jesus. That's everything that uh, John is writing in a nutshell. Now let's break that open into some more depth in the four, four points here. My first point, Jesus's incarnation reveals his divinity. And I want to highlight this because it's actually kind of counterintuitive. Uh, I want to read one more time, verses one through four. That or he, which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That what we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Now it's a little bit confusing because this translation is using a lot of it's and that's but another fair translation is that this is he who is from the beginning he who is eternal life many bible translations use that what John here is doing is he's actually drawing from Genesis chapter 1 that the word of God was with God God was speaking and creating this is the same John who likely wrote a uh, the the gospel John. And so if you remember uh, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything was made through him. This is the same word play pointing us to he who was with God from the beginning. Now here's why this is counterintuitive because the writer is saying that we, the apostles, we saw him, Jesus, with our eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. And we live in a culture, we're operating in a culture that says, I will believe it if I can see it, touch it, and quantify it. But then comically, our same culture says, if I can see it, touch it, and quantify it, it's probably just natural and not supernatural. (laughs) Does that make sense? I want to see it and touch it in order to believe it, but I'm not going to believe it because I can see it and touch it. And here the apostles are saying something particularly different. They're saying, we've seen him. We can vouch that he was 100% human. I know he was human. I, these apostles journeyed with this man, Jesus, for three years on the road. They would have uh, like set up camp together. They would have eaten breakfast together. They would have dug like the outhouse holes together. They knew that this Jesus used the restroom. And if I can continue, uh, to me, that would deflate the idea that he was divine. If I can see you, touch you, and, and know that you're going behind the bush to use the bathroom are you really God? (laughs) Aren't you just another person just like me? Now, uh, my aunt, uh, there's a family joke. My aunt and uncle live down in Florida and they've been married for 35 years, 35 years, three and a half decades. And here's the family joke, and this is real. My aunt and uncle will not use the bathroom in front of one another and they actively avoid farting, excuse me, passing gas in front of one another. They will, they will leave the room in order to, <clears throat> and then come back in because they don't want their spouse to view them in that way. They don't, now it, this is a bit psychoanalyzing, but to me, I think they are not wanting to be disillusioned, right? I don't want you to think I'm gross. I don't want you to know all my parts. Now, I love my wife, but I can say she is human. <laughs> I can vouch For the disillusionment that happens when you're in a marriage, when you're one on one, when you're seeing, touching, hearing, right? When you're living human life together, there's a disillusionment. If you've seen or heard the fall of a church leader who was on a pedestal in your mind, you know the same. Oh, they're just like me. They can fall too. You know that sense of disillusionment. But interestingly, this was not the effect that Jesus' humanity, his incarnatedness, had on his disciples. If I can continue to be a slight bit crass. These apostles heard their Messiah's farts (laughs) and concluded he is the son of God with God from the beginning. He is immortal, invisible, the king of ages. His humanity proved To them, that he was both real and divine. They were not disillusioned by his humanness. It proved that he was divine. His incarnation matched the plan of God. It matched the plan of God that says God will put himself in our place, fully take on the form of humanity in order to substitute himself for humans. And during Jesus' lifetime, he also proved his divinity with his miracles, with his truth-telling, with his prophecies, with his true understanding of the plan of God and God himself. Even Jesus' most critical enemies would approach him and say something like, the only way you could do these things is if God was with you, but please stop. Even his enemies said, you don't fit in our human box. Now my my first point here is that Jesus' incarnation proved to his disciples that he was divine as well as human, that he was the word of God. He was the source of life itself. He was with God at the beginning, which is why these very same disciples wholeheartedly believed his message. And the incarnation of Jesus came with not just a man, but a message. And read with me verse two and three, just to point this out. The life Jesus was made manifest. We've seen it, we're seeing him. We testify to it or him. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. And so notice, we're proclaiming he, the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. We proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And then you'll notice one more time, it says that we also proclaim his message. If you look at verse five, this is the message we've heard from him. We're proclaiming him, the man and his message. And this is his message. Read with me five through 10. This is the message we've heard from him and we're proclaiming to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, here's the message, as he's in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and if excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's break down that message in just a few quick parts. First off, this is the message. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, every single or most logical connections that come to your brain when you read that, that God is light, those are probably accurate and true based on the, the breadth of Scripture. When you think of light, as, when I think of light, here are some of the things that come to mind. If I'm thinking about it abstractly. I think of brightness, illumination, glory, splendor, daylight, nourishment, flourishing, warmth, rest, clarity, truth, knowledge, progress, honesty, nothing to hide, goodness. All of those things are immediate and fair connections applied to the person of God who is light. All of those things are attributed as being from God or of God in the scriptures. Now, similarly, if you just sim- like think of darkness, most of the connections that come to your mind are probably right and apply here. When I think of darkness, I think of obscurity and hiddenness, of secrets, of things that are veiled, of guilt, of shame, of things that are evil and twisted and corrupted, of loneliness and fear, of predators and predation, spitefulness, manipulation, sneakiness, lies, and thieving. And none of that is in the person of God. None at all. And that is incredibly good news. That God is light. The greatest authority and power in all of creation is light, and in him is no darkness at all, period. How reassuring is that? That this God we are striving after, who's come to save us, in him there is no darkness at all. In fact, the darkness is the reason he sent his son to rescue us. He's rescuing us from the darkness, from our own internal and external darkness, all of his judgments, all of his consequences all are for the effect of limiting or eliminating darkness. Now let's continue in this message that they're proclaiming in verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Simply saying it's possible or it is impossible to live in fellowship with God while walking in the darkness. He is good and he is opposed to darkness, which is where we find ourselves without his intervention. The message of this man and divine that came was proved with touch and sight and sound. His message is that he came to cleanse us from all sin so we can walk in the light. It would be impossible to live in fellowship with God were it not for this man Jesus who came to rescue and forgive us. And it is possible to continue and willfully choose the darkness. And it is hypocritical to say we love the light and hide in the dark. We now, through Jesus, have the ability to walk in the light and live with fellowship with God because when our sinfulness is revealed, we are no longer condemned but forgiven by the blood of Jesus. This is his pursuant generosity, that there are no barriers his blood cannot overcome because he is like light shining in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. The good news of Jesus is summarized in Colossians chapter one, two verses out of Colossians chapter one. Paul writes, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is for those who have walked in the light, who've come under the gaze of Jesus and let him cleanse us this is our new reality, that we are no longer abandoned in the kingdom of darkness, but now have been redeemed, forgiven, are now part of the kingdom of his beloved son in the light. And this forgiveness through Jesus is two things. It's both legal and relational, which is bringing us to our next point where John says in verse three, that which we've seen and heard, we're proclaiming also to you so that, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You'll notice there's two so, that, sent, two so that statements here, two purposes. John's saying, I'm writing all this so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. My third point is that Jesus's incarnation creates joyful fellowship with our new spiritual family, what you would call the family of God. This is because, like Colossians says, when we're transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, we receive the spirit of adoption, adoption as new sons and daughters of God. We are literally written into the will, fully chosen, loved sons and daughters, And with that comes a new relationship with the father, absolutely, and a new relationship with brothers and sisters. We are now the most true version of family on the planet because the spiritual reality and the spiritual identity that Jesus has given you overrides your physical bloodline. What this means is Christianity is a team sport. Christianity can only be properly lived out In community, it cannot be lived solo because that's not how God designed it. When we try to live solo versions of Christianity, we're actively opposing the will of God in the world. He is calling us together into a new family, a new body to bring us together as sons and daughters living in our new family. Verse 4 says this, we're writing these things to you, excuse me, we're writing these things so that our and your joy may be complete. Part of my point is not only do we have new fellowship, new brothers and sisters we're strapped with, but we have new brothers and sisters that bring us joyful fellowship. This is a beautiful privilege, better than any other form of community on the planet when done right. And so with that, I would say there's two sources of joy that are available to us as Christian brothers and sisters. Number one, we have joy from our fellowship with one another. And two, we have joy from one another's fellowship with God. Here's what I mean. Let's to start with point one that we have joy from our fellowship with one another. I have a short video uh, that I'm excited to share with you of my son. This was one week ago. Sit back. It's about thirty seconds. Enjoy, and then I'll jump right back up. Go ahead, guys. Now, part of that is I'm just a proud father and I'm like, eager to show off my kid. <clears throat> but uh, uh, here's why I'm showing that to you. Raise your hand if that brought you joy. That's, 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 that's a lot of people. Okay, now raise your hand if you prayed with my wife and I during our three-year struggle to have a child. Now raise your hand if you prayed for Obadiah specifically during his pregnancy. Here's my point. How great is your joy at seeing this video? This is not just a cute baby. You could go online and find a million cute babies. This is a cute baby who you are in friendship with, who you have prayed for for years. This is a cute baby who you will be in community with for the foreseeable future. That's different than just looking up cute baby videos, right? That joy is only because we are in fellowship with one another, because we are not just an event, but we are the family to which we belong. We are brought together as sons and daughters to live something beautiful that could not be gotten as a solo sport. Is there hardship? Yes. Is there frustration? Yep. Disappointments? Yep. But when we hang on for the long run, when we do our best to love one another as spiritual brothers and sisters, something unparalleled happens. There is deep joy from our fellowship with one another. Jesus himself said in John the Gospel, chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And my joy this morning is I get to say, all of life, church, you're not perfect, but you do this. You love one another in the spirit of Jesus as best as you can, ups and downs. If I can speak from my own observations and my own experiences, I would say you, church family, you serve together, you play on each other's boats, you go to each other's cabins, you vacation together, you barbecue together, your kids are close friends. We pray together, we study God's word together. We have game nights, movie nights, pizza nights, fire pit nights. We bring each other meals, we pay each other's bills, we fix each other's cars, we work on each other's homes. We share resources to care for each other's neighbors. We do service projects together. We, lo- we urge one another to love and good works. We urge one another to missional living. And this is a deep joy. And this is right in the mind of God. It is possible for churches to grow insular and stagnant. And it is possible for churches to get so caught up in all the vague you should, you should, you should that we're always too satisfied to savor and praise Jesus for the joy of the fellowship that he's gifted us with and that he's called us to. And I want to pause for a moment to say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that even now, as I look in this room, there are so many hands that went up that says, we've been praying with you. And as I think back to the past few years, Jesus, you have gifted us sweet, sweet friendship. Imperfect, but sweet. Thank you for the joy of fellowship. Not because we decided to get together, but because you brought us into a family. You've called us sons and daughters and gifted all of this to us. Jesus, thank you. Amen. My second point around fellowship is that we receive joy from one another's fellowship with God. Our fellowship is made more joyful because of your fellowship with God. Here's what I mean. One of the greatest joys for me as a Christian and of Christian fellowship is not actually what the other person does. My joy is not what you do for me in our Christian fellowship. My joy often comes from the privilege of watching God do something for you. It's not what you do for me, it's watching God do something for you. Again, based on my observations and experiences, when I see you fellowshipping in life-giving relationship with God, my joy is inexpressible when I see your love grow, your freedom from addictions come, your wisdom mature, your faith during your grief, when I see your healings, your spiritual gifts, when I see your marriages renewed, when we confess to one another, when the gospel becomes awake in us, when we experience new vocations and callings by the Spirit of God, when we watch one another's lives become transformed, that's not what anyone's doing for us. It's simply the work of God evident as we live and watch one another. And that is so deep and joyful, to watch God in one another. But even more amazing than that, even more amazing than watching God in one another is when an outsider gets brought in. When through you or through me, the Spirit of God reaches someone that is bound for hell and rescues them from the domain of darkness, transfers them into the kingdom of Jesus and stamps them as our new brother and sister. And we get to now live in fellowship with them. This is why at baptisms that we celebrate, we go nuts because it is the public declaration of Jesus saying, this is my son and daughter. This is the public viewing where we say that person who was a stranger, they're now my brother. They're now my sister. I will love them as Jesus loves me. I will now live in long-term fellowship with them. I will now have great joy as God fellowships in their life as I watch them be transformed. They are now our very real brothers and sisters. And so as we as a fellowship think about the missional gospel of Jesus, the missional gospel is not about teaching more religion. It's about seeing the spirit of God renew and transform lives because no one is too far gone to receive God's mercy because Jesus came to save sinners, even our enemies, and the work of the Spirit in their lives will turn them into lovely, kind, generous, playful, patient people through his Spirit. And that's what I wanna see. And that sounds like a buffet of deep, deep joy, is watching those who are God's enemies, struggling in darkness, be brought in as a new brother and sister, sanctified, renewed, transformed, that is what I want to lay my life down for. That is what we're in many ways celebrating and praying for in Slovakia and Ukraine is not just the giving of some houses, but that new brothers and sisters would enter the kingdom of God. And honestly, in my life, evangelism can feel a bit like a four-letter word, right? It's like the thing that gets brought up again and again. And it pretty much is always super awkward. (laughs) But when I think about the giving trees that we did and giving them away, that wasn't for the purpose of giving away Christmas trees. That wasn't the goal. That was a step of missional gospelness. It was creating a bridge of generosity so that we might get to see some of those people become new brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. That's made possible not through our efforts alone, but through the rescuing work of God. It's because of him that our lives are transformed because of him that we get front row seats to one another's lives and front row seats to strangers being brought in. And our ability to love one another in fellowship and our ability to love the enemy and the stranger comes as the result of our personal fellowship with God. This is my, I think, fourth point. I don't remember. Jesus' incarnation creates joyful fellowship with God himself. Would you read with me two sections? 1 John 3-4 through and 6-7. through That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Jump to verse 6. But if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We were separate from God. But Jesus came intervening incarnate to restore our personal relationships with God. Because we as Christians now enter God's presence fully, We are fully forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice. We are fully adopted as sons and daughters. We now have full, beautiful, meaningful, and joyful fellowship with him. And this joy comes at us at two levels, if I may break it down. Two levels. We have joyful fellowship with God in two levels. Number one, we can experience joy by actively fellowshipping with God. Here's what I mean. By choosing to spend time with him, we have to choose, but through our disciplines, as well as just the simple ongoing sharing of ourselves with him, we are choosing to live with him. We're choosing to talk with him, to ask how he's doing, to sit with him, to be in silence. When we choose to spend time with him, we are inviting him into our bodies, our emotions, our hearts, our souls, our realities, we're choosing to be present to him in our days. And that is active, joyful friendship and fellowship. And this is where the human heart is made to flourish. The most full and flourishing human experience will be in the joyful friendship and fellowship with God, in the light, in the words of First John, not in the darkness, in the loving presence of God. God is light. God is love. He's so generous and loving that he has completely forgiven us when we didn't deserve it. He has fought for us. He is devoted. He is kind. He is patient. He is joyful. He is creative. He is corrective. He's peaceful. He's attentive to us. It's a joy to spend time with someone like that. That is actively experiencing joy by choosing him, choosing to be with him, choosing to make time for him. But we can also experience joy through passively, not through anything you have to do, receiving Jesus's assurance. There are parts of our relationship with God that take work and effort and choice and time, right? We need to make those decisions. But his love for us, our role as his children, our future hope in restoration that is not assured by our work or our performance or how close we feel or don't feel with Jesus. That is assured by what he has done. So you don't need to do a thing that is purely passive reception of the grace of Jesus. He is our assurance that you are safe, saved, loved, wanted, empowered with his spirit. And there is nothing like that assurance in the entire world. There's nothing like that assurance, assurance, Do you want to stay fit? You better work for it. Do you want to be financially secure? You better work for it. Do you want to be popular? You better work for it. That is how our world works in many real ways. This is the only kind of assurance in the world that is simply received. What that means is if all hell breaks loose, if your plane crashes, your 401k tanks, the foreign military invades, when you relapse, when the diagnosis comes, No matter what happens, I am assured not through my active participation, but through his gift to me. I simply receive it passively. I'm assured that I'm in a new kingdom because I've received it from him. It's not based on what I've done, what I'm doing, or what's going on around me. It is simply from him. And that is a joy that only comes through reception. I just want to point out that word passive might come with all sorts of baggage. I'm clearly not suggesting we become lazy as Christians. I'm simply saying this is not an active earning thing. This is simply a receiving thing. Here's where I want to end. That this, our new present reality, all of this, our new fellowship, our adoption, our security, our joy, all of that is our present reality because of the prior advent of Jesus. It's our present reality because of his prior advent. But 1 John, like I said in the beginning, has all these undercurrents of future potential. What will it be like when our joy is complete, when our fellowship is complete, when God's message is proclaimed everywhere? What will happen when Jesus re-advents? And I simply wanna open our imagination to a few things. Imagine the joy and the awe when you, experience the incarnate Jesus, when you have the ability to see him with your eyes, to hear his voice, to touch him, the man who gave himself for you, when you will know his divinity and his humanness fully because you've seen him and touched him, when you see his majesty fully. Imagine when the joy and the awe that we'll have when our joys are no longer up and down based on our own momentary belief in the gospel, our momentary wrestling with our sin, but when through the transformative power of God, through his second advent, our hearts are now fully renewed. Our bodies are fully renewed and every moment of this new reality is basking in the acceptance of his love with no wrestling of sin or attention. Imagine the joy and the awe when you and I as Christian brothers and sisters no longer wrestle with how to love each other, no longer struggle to forgive each other, when we now do so fully and naturally and easily, because that is our everyday normal, because he has transformed something at his re-advent. And last one, imagine the joy and the awe when your fellowship with God is constant, intimate, when it is unforced, when that is your every day, every moment reality, joyful fellowship with God. All of those things will be accomplished and are promised by Jesus at his re-advent. So as we remember this in this Advent season, we are anchoring our hope to him because of what he's done past and anchoring hope to him because what he will accomplish future. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that every time I get into your word, your promises and your reality blows me away. That you are life in eternal life itself. You are with the father from the beginning and you came and people saw you, heard you, touched you, and it convinced them you were superhuman. Jesus, thank you for this record and these writings that teach us who you are, that help us know you are light. We can trust you. There is no darkness in you at all. And thank you for this church family that we get to gospel one another and love one another and fellowship with one another imperfectly, but under the name of your son, Jesus. We love you. Amen.